Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus. I trust you and your household are doing well. Yesterday, we wrapped up the 29th and the final lesson of our teachings, teaching series on God's grace and man's faith. And today, I'm going to launch a new subject, and that is our identity and our authority in Christ. It's actually two, two subjects, but I have put them in one. So just like we did with grace and faith, which are two subjects, but we did them as one subject because grace and faith are interconnected uh, and uh, with one another, and one is not complete without the other. They, they actually intermesh. So, so it is with our identity in Christ, our authority in Christ, because our authority in Christ has also, uh, to a large extent, to do with who we are in Christ. So we, I'm putting these things, the, these two subjects together also, and so we start today. Now, I want to start by saying that, you know, here in this world, we all have an identity. That's why we carry driver's licenses and ID cards. So uh, places, there are places they will say, show me your driver's license, show me your ID, because they want to verify your identity, that you are the one who you say you are. And when I travel overseas, we have passports. So like uh, I carry two passports and here's my American passport and uh, here's my Swedish passport. And so, uh, you know, it depends upon where I go. Uh, and you know, I use these two passports. And if you if you look at my U.S. passport here, it tells you all my details. And my Swedish passport, uh, it also tells you all my details. So everything is here. So anything they want to know about me, they want to verify my identity. When I'm overseas, they say, "Show me a passport," and um, and they look at my passport. Then they look at me. They know it's the same person. Uh, you know, by the photo and all my other details are there. So that's my identity in this world. I'm Christopher Alam and my passport number, my address, who I am, what I do for a living and all that. Uh, that's my worldly identity and we all have a worldly identity. But then we have a spiritual identity and that is, in fact, even more important because that is our eternal uh, uh, identity. And the the worldly identity is only temporal, it's only for this life, but the eternal identity is, you know, who we are in Christ and it, and who, are in, who we are in Christ right now, and then it kind of goes on into eternity. So that's why I want to study this subject about who we are in Christ. But first of all, uh, in order to study this, let us go to the Bible, uh, to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 to find out what God's original plan for mankind was. Like our ancestor, Adam and Eve, you know, you and I, all of us, there's 7 billion plus. We are more than 7 billion people on this earth living together. And we have one, or say, rather I would say we have two common ancestors, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife Eve. So they are our ancestors. So if you look at it this way, positively, you and I are probably distant cousins. We are all related to each other. Uh, and the Bible says that God has made of one blood all nations of men. So whether we are black or white or Chinese or we are whatever the color of our skin or whatever our ethnicity, we are all related to each other and we are connected to one another. And, uh, and actually, I think the world would be a much better place than it is today if everybody realized that we are all related and connected to, it, to one another. But anyway, 
this is God's original plan uh, and intention when he created man. And I'm reading from Genesis 1 verses 20 to 26 to 28. And I'm reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible because the Amplified Version really expands the verses to explain them to us. When we, we, we get a fuller picture of the meaning of Scripture uh, through the Amplified. And so it says, and God said, let us, and in the plural, God spoke in the plural, God says, let us, and that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and the tame beasts and over all of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it using all its vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. Now, these, these three scriptures tell us about the creation of man. Genesis 1 takes a, talks about, the, about you know, God creating everything from nothing, how uh, you know, the six days of creation, then the seventh day God rested. But these verses kind of focus on the creation of man because that refers directly to us. So when God created man, this was his original plan. And that was three things. He said, he said firstly, let us make man in our image. That's the first thing. We are created in the image of God. And then he said, after our likeness, we are created in the likeness of God. And thirdly, let, him let them have complete authority or have dominion over all things. So we are created with three things in mind, in the mind of God. First thing, we are created in the image of God. And secondly, we are created to be like him in his likeness. And thirdly, we are created to have dominion. And God who has dominion, he wants us to exercise dominion to rule the earth on his behalf. That was his original plan. So let's look at the first thing. We are created in the image of God. So when God created the first man, Adam, he created Adam. This is how he created him. He took the dust of the earth and created Adam from the dust of the earth, just the body. And then the Bible said he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And that word breath is the same word as spirit, which means, which in the Hebrew is ruach. In Arabic, it is ruh. In, Arabic, in, in Hebrew, it is ruach. And the two languages relate, are related to each other. So when God created Adam, he created the shell made of the dust of the earth. And he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And so Adam, the life that he had was the life of God. Now, so when he said he created Adam in his own image, I want you to be very careful because it doesn't that, you know, because Adam had uh, had the life of God. It doesn't mean that God created another God. Adam was never a God. Adam was a human being. There's a difference between the creation and the creator. And so uh, God created Adam in his like, in his image. But that does not mean that Adam was a God or something of that sort. Uh, he was not but because he was a created being. A created being is never a God. Only the creator is God. So he created 
Adam in his own image, which means that he created Adam to be like him as much as possible without actually being deity. And the other thing was that because you see, he didn't create God to, uh, I mean, sorry, God didn't create Adam uh, uh, to look like him either because the Bible said God is spirit. You remember when Jesus spoke to the woman of the well in Samaria, he said, God is spirit. And, uh, but Adam also had a body. God doesn't, doesn't have a body, but Adam had a body. And that's another significant difference. Uh, Adam had a, had a, had a, a, a body that was mortal, you know, because he was a human being, like I have a body. And so, uh, uh, you know, even, even though Jesus lives in me and I can have a lot of God living in me, I'm still not God. I'm still mortal. I'm still a human being. So you must make this distinction. So God created Adam in his own image. Uh, and then it says in our likeness, that means he created Adam to be like him. He wanted Adam to reflect God and uh, uh, re reflect his nature, his character. So God wanted somebody on this earth who could speak and act on his behalf. And uh, well, that's what I understand with my limited understanding. I'm sure there are others who can expound on this better than I can. But God created Adam in his own image, in his own image, and he created Adam in his own likeness. And that is very important for us to understand. And then, <coughs> I'm sorry, he created Adam to have dominion. That means he, create, he created Adam to rule and to dominate uh, everything that is on this earth. And that is how God put on this earth. But now what happened is that it was good because God used to come to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were and they used to talk and they used to have fellowship. Everything was good until Genesis chapter 3. And that is when the devil comes in. Now it says... In verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more, and the serpent is actually the devil. The, uh, I mean, it's, it's a manifestation of the devil. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had made. And he, he said to the woman, yeah, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. So the serpent, you know, the devil comes to Eve. And this is what he says to her. And because you see, when God had given all this to Adam and Eve, God had told them that, look, you can eat of all the fruit trees. Everything here is yours, except that one tree, which is in the center, center of the garden, you're not allowed to touch it. And um, that's what he told them to do. So the devil comes in and then uh, he actually, he, you know, he seems to be, uh, you know, referring to what God had said. He was quoting and but he said to he said to Eve, he said, oh, uh, didn't did God tell you that you shall uh, not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, did God tell you that you can eat of all the trees except that one tree? And uh, the woman answered the devil and said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but that tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it because, and you shall not touch it because if you eat it and touch it, you shall die. And so the devil said to the woman, he said, no, 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 you shall not die. 
because God knows that in the day you eat therefore thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Now just see how, how subtle the devil is. He comes in by actually saying, oh, didn't, did God said, said to you that you cannot eat of, uh, you can eat of all the trees, uh, you know, um, of the garden except this one. So he actually repeats what God has said. And he said, yeah, he did. He said to us, we can eat of everything except that one tree. And then uh, she says, she says that, well, God told us if we eat of the tree, we'll die. And there the devil comes in and he contradicts God. He contradicts God and he says, no, 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 you are not going to die. And I tell you why God said this. The reason God said this to you, I mean, you will not really die. God actually lied to you. The reason he said to you, uh, this to you is because if you eat of this and uh, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be like gods, knowing good and evil. So this is interesting because if you look at the history of Satan himself, the, uh, Satan was one of God's three archangels. And in fact, he led the worship at the throne of God and, 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 and he, he, he was a worshiper. But then his heart was haughty. His heart became haughty and he and, 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 and he was lifted up in, in his own eyes. And then he, he decided that he is going to be like God himself. He's going to dethrone God and, uh, and, and he's going to become God himself. And, um, and so that was the devil's design and it failed. It failed for him because God threw him out, you know, and, and he that's when he turned evil and he became Satan. And it took three, uh, sorry, one third of the angels with him who followed him and they started their own breakaway church. And <laughs> and those devils, they uh, they became uh, uh, demons and evil spirits and Satan uh, and Lucifer, who was the angel of light. That's what Lucifer means, the angel of light. One of three archangels, he became Satan. And that's how it started. So now, uh, because he wanted to be God and dethrone God and be God himself. And that is what he's saying to Eve. And he says that, you know what? He says, you are not going to die. Uh, God is wrong or he was actually making this up. He was lying to you. You are not going to die uh, because God knows that when you eat of the fruit of that tree, um, your eyes will be open. Suddenly you will have all the knowledge that you don't have. You will know more than you have ever known and you will become gods. He says, so you will become God. In fact, God feels threatened by you because he knows everything and he created you and you don't know everything. So he thinks, God thinks that if you eat of the fruit of the tree, suddenly you will know everything like God does and you will become God and, and God doesn't want that to happen. Now, this is a classic trick of the devil because what the devil would want, this is what, one, this is what the, uh, how should I say, uh, classic unbelief is. Classic unbelief, which is of the devil, would want you to disbelieve or to doubt God and instead believe what the devil says. So this is what classic unbelief is. You read the Bible, you know what the Bible says, and then uh, the devil whispers this thing to you. You say, you know what, this, this thing is not true. This thing is not for you. It doesn't work for you. It's in the Bible, but it's not for you. But instead, this is for you instead. So what happens, you begin to doubt or disbelieve 
the written word of God and instead of that you embrace your doubts and your fears which are sent there from God and that's exactly the pattern of how unbelief works. Unbelief is when you when you disbelieve the word of God, disbelieve what God says and instead believe your doubts and your and your fears. And uh, and so that's what he said to he to Eve. And then then look at look at verse six. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She saw it with her eyes that, you know what, this tree isn't that bad. It looks quite good. The fruit of it looks quite good to eat and that it was pleasant to the eyes. So that's uh, that's really, uh, you know, the, the spirit of the world and the spirit of unbelief that, you know, the Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes. And that's what this is, because she saw she saw that the fruit on the tree looks good. People go after that which looks good and that which pleasant to the eyes. It's pleasant to look at. And uh, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. So that's what the people look at: the lust of the flesh, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and the pride of life. So she saw that she took another look at the tree, and she said, "You know, it actually looks good. The tree looks good. The fruit looks good, and it's pleasant to the eyes. And uh, and not only that, but it's going to make me smart." And then. Uh, she rationalized that which the devil had said, you know, God could be wrong. The devil is right. That makes sense. So what she did, she took the uh, fruit of the tree and uh, ate it and also gave it to her husband and the husband ate too. And that was Adam's uh, guilt because he could have stood to her, stood up to her and said, no, evil, uh, Eve, I'm not going to do that. But she, he just ate it because she presented it to him. And as a result of this, so remember, you know, some people say uh, Eve and Adam ate an apple. It doesn't say it was an apple. All it says, it was a fruit uh, from the tree. And it doesn't tell us what kind of fruit it was. And but the whole point is not about the fruit, but the whole point is about disobedience to God and uh, disbelieving the word of God and instead believing the word of the evil one. So as a result, what happened was that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. So God, it's interesting, God came to uh, uh, to Adam and he said to Adam, why have you eaten this? And Adam, he pointed his finger to his wife. He said, well, the woman you gave me. So it suddenly is God's fault. In other words, you gave me this woman, she made me do it. In fact, if you hadn't given me this woman, this would have never happened. Blame shifting, we call it. So he shifted the blame to Eve. And he said, well, Eve made me do it. And then uh, then uh, God went to Eve. Why did you eat this? And then she blamed it on Satan. Well, what happened was that God banished Adam and he banished Eve uh, from the garden, the garden of Eden, uh, of, of Eden. And then he lost his place of dominion. Adam lost his place of of dominion. He was still the, in the image of God. He was still a man created in the image of God, but he had lost his position. He lost his fellowship with God. He lost his standing with God. He lost his fellowship with God. He couldn't stand before God face to face and talk to God like he had done before. So he couldn't talk to God. He couldn't have fellowship with God. He lost his dominion over everything. And, uh, and then from that point onward, Satan took dominion over the earth. How did he do it? Well, 
he had the legal right because he took it from Adam. Adam willfully handed over dominion of the earth to Satan. He legally and willfully handed over to Satan. And if you read 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Jesus actually refers to Satan as the God of this world. That means he's the one who's in charge of this world. And so Satan became in charge, instead of Adam being in charge of the earth, Satan became in charge of the earth. He became the ruler of this earth. And then, uh, and then God, he, he spoke to Satan also. So like he, he, you know, he spoke to Adam, he spoke to Eve, and then he said that there's because of this sin, there's a curse upon the earth. From now on, uh, the earth shall bear fruits, uh, sorry, thorns and thistles. And then he said to Adam, from now on, you are going to work with the sweat of your brow. And he said to Eve, you will have great pains in childbirth. And then he, and he also spoke to Satan. And this is what he said to Satan. He spoke to Adam, spoke to Eve, and he spoke to Satan. And in Genesis 3.15, this is what he said to Satan. Uh, the first thing he said that from now on, you're going to crawl on the ground. Uh, from, from now on, you're cursed to crawl on the ground through all eternity. And then he said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is interesting because this verse is actually the first promise we have in the Bible of a Redeemer. He's actually talking about Jesus. But that would happen 4,000 years after Adam. So God is looking at 4,000 years into history. And, uh, and then he said, uh, and, and he said to, to Satan, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And it, it shall bruise thy head. That means he's talking about the foot of Jesus. He's going to crush the head of Satan underfoot. He's going to, he, he's going to break Satan's head and you shall bruise his heel and you're going to bite him. And uh, he's actually talking about the death of Jesus upon the cross. So that was the first promise in the Bible of Jesus Christ who would come to redeem the earth. In other words, he would come to take it back from Satan. So Satan would rule this earth for 4,000 years. So for 4,000 years, uh, mankind lived um, under the dominion of Satan without living in God's original plan of dominating the earth. Suddenly, man, instead of being the dominator, was the one who was being dominated. And because of the fall of man, sin came into this earth disease came into this earth and people didn't walk with God anymore. There were some people who in their generations would walk with God. And those were, you know, people like Noah and then the prophets and people like Job, because the interesting thing was that Noah uh, wasn't, or he lived before the, uh, before God's covenant with Abraham and, uh, and long before, you know, 400, uh, Moses came 430 years after Abraham. So long before uh, Abraham, there were people like Job, people like Noah, who, who didn't really know God. There was no covenant, but they, in their hearts, they had a consciousness of, uh, of there was a God and they tried to walk uprightly before God the best they could. And because of their faith, they were counted as righteous. And so this is very interesting that during those 4,000 years, uh, God was speaking to man 
and, um, and, and he was promising them a redeemer, somebody who would come and who would bring deliverance to, to mankind, who would redeem mankind from the hand of Satan, because Satan was, is an evil taskmaster. He ruled through sin. He ruled through disease. There were demons who, that were rife all over the place. There were people who suffered from all kinds of things. And then God said, I'm going to send a redeemer and he is going to crush the head of the serpent. And so that was Jesus. So from that point onwards, for the next 4,000 years, there were prophets who prophesied. Uh, in, in fact, if you read the, the law and the prophets, if you read the, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament, and you will see that they all point towards Jesus. They all of them point towards Jesus because everything in the Bible, everything in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's about really, it's about Jesus pointing to the Redeemer, pointing to the Savior who would come and who would deliver people from the hands of Satan. And then, so I said from 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus, the prophets prophesied. And I'm going to read uh, to you some of them. Uh, Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now this is interesting because Bethlehem is a small village and if you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament, biblical scholars say that in the Old Testament there's about 400 prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. Some of them are very straight up. Some of them are a little bit more subtle, but they all point to Jesus. There's about 400 prophecies that point to Jesus. And, uh, and this is one of, the one, one of the more clear ones. This was the prophet Micah. And this is what he said. He said, he, he, I mean, he is talking about Bethlehem where Jesus was born. So he actually, you know, point, pinpointed the village where Jesus would be born. I mean, centuries and centuries before that. And he says, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, that means though you may be a little village among all the cities and villages of Judah, yet from you shall he come forth, who is to be a ruler, ruler over Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. And he says this, this king who's going to come from you and, and, and walk in you, his, his history, his goings have been from centuries before. Not only centuries, but from everlasting. That means the everlasting God, the everlasting God, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he's the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity. The Bible says he's without beginning and he's without end and he's forever. But he is going to rise out of you, O little village of Bethlehem, and he's going to walk on the earth. So this is just one uh, small example of uh, uh, one of you know, the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that we find in the Old Testament. Well, let's take a break here now and uh, uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. We'll continue on the subject and let's, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for their homes, for their families, 
Lord, you said you'd bless our food and water and turn every sickness away from us in the name of Jesus. I ask you to bless them all and touch them. And Lord, equip us and use us mightily for your glory so that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends. Let's uh, break here. It's a 24-hour break. I'll be seeing you tomorrow. God bless you.